Okay, thanks for joining us. So today, here we're Shrida again. Uh, we're going to talk about Tolkien yet again. So how are you, Shrida, today? I'm all right. How about you? Doing better than I was. <laughs> so um, yeah, pretty pretty good. Any interesting news? What have you been reading? <laughs> what have I been reading? Um, um, sl- slightly boring. I've, I've just been reading. Uh, I just finished a biography of Jean-Pierre Rampal. The, the uh, he was a flute player um, back in the 20th century. He, he was one of the people who who made the flute into a sort of viable solo instrument um, mm. that sort of played with orchestras, like soloed with orchestras, and gave recitals the way that pianists and violinists do. So, um, oh wow, yeah. So it's kind of kind of boring since I, I'm a flute player. So I, I hate to tell people that I'm reading something so close to my own field. But sometimes you just have to read. Um, I mean, <laughs> you just have to read yeah. what you have to read for, for work, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I've read, obviously, you know, writing a thesis, one reads tons of papers and books in the field. So I don't think there's anything unusual there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've, I've been reading, well, I finished a history of Russia, <laughs> which obviously I bought and read because of the topical situation. I finished that. I think it's just the Penguin History of Russia. Modern Russia is, is, is the name of the book. It's quite a good pricey on the history of, well, Russia, but also Ukraine to an extent as well. Hmm. Um, so that was good. Um, and at the moment, I'm just finishing off my some of Roman-related material, which I was reading before. Um, and, yeah, so, and, and, you know, in addition to the Silmarillion, I guess, which we're also reading through, and um, recently I bought, uh, well, the other day I bought um, a book of an essay collection from one of my favorite Australian writers, but uh, was uh, reviewed in the New York Times the other day. His name is Gerald Murnane, and uh, actually he lives in my state not too far away, um, but he's sort of known as a bit of a, a, bit of a recluse, never been on an aeroplane, um, never traveled very far, sort of sits on his farm, serves beer at the local pub. But he's written a few very interesting conceptual novels, I guess you might say, um, the most famous of which is The Plains. Um, and, you know, he's, he's a very interesting writer. Um, his novels don't really have a conventional plot. They usually sort of, uh, follows a, a you know a, a young man or something who's exploring this region, but really, of course, it's a it's a sort of extended allegory for, I suppose, one's inner regions, the mind, <laughs> and um, and sort of his novels are exploring language and I don't know the, um, how we sort of conceptualize um, the mind, you know, in its sort of vastness. So. Um, I'm looking forward to reading this essay collection, which is supposedly the last thing he's going to publish. Um, he is like 80 something. So, um, Hmm. yeah, that'll be good to read. I mean, yeah, he was profiled in the New York times a couple of years ago. Um, and American novelists like Ben Lerner, who I've never read, but he's apparently a big thing, um, are quite, uh, fans of his. So, um, yeah, he seems to have a bit of a following over there in the United States, or at least among some literary people. 
And it sounds um, right up my alley. I'll have to. Yeah, you would probably quite like like his writing. Um, and yeah, so I'm looking forward to reading that. And um, that's sort of next on the non-Tolkien list, <laughs> as it were. So we'll see how that goes, and I might uh, give a, a report once once I. Uh, I'll give a, a reader's report once I uh, have finished on the podcast. So that should be um, interesting. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, and apart from that, I guess I wanted to talk briefly about something that we haven't mentioned very much on the podcast, which is the Rings of Power show, of course, TV show coming up. And I was motivated to do this because hmm, yesterday when we were, oh, well, at the time pardon me, at the time of recording, a trailer came out for The House of the Dragon, this Game of Thrones prequel, and I thought the trailer there was very good. Um, in comparison to the Rings of Power trailer, I thought it was a much superior product, um, you know, in, in terms of just showcasing the visual language of the show, the musical language of the show, and also just the plot in general, so sort of get a sense of what it's about. I thought the Rings of Power trailer, which received quite a negative backlash, was ill-formed, um, quite, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I didn't think it, I didn't think it packed much of a punch to use a cliche. <laughs> um, and it looked, I think individual scenes once sort of isolated and it looked okay, but together they sort of made very little sense. So, um, and as, as a lot of people put it, it didn't feel like Middle Earth. And I, I agree that that's a vague statement, but um, I think there's something to it. I think people are gesturing at the the sense that it didn't really feel um, as though um, as though it belonged in that world or was showcasing that world. So, you know, I'm hoping the next trailer that comes out will improve on that. But um, you know, I'm just interested because both shows are coming out in well late August, early. Uh, September, so they're going to be playing off one another exactly the same time. Um, one comes out Friday, I think, the other one Sundays. Um, so we will have a few weeks there when these fantasy shows are literally a few days apart. You know, episodes are coming out a few days apart, so it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Um, I watch very little television nowadays, so I'm not I'm not going to be watching House of the Dragon at least as it comes out, but I will watch. Um, the Rings of Power show, of course, just to, to see how it is. Um, but I don't know. What, what did you think of the trailers? And, um, and, and I don't know. I know. I, I don't think you've seen Game of Thrones, right? You're not a huge fan of that. But I'd be curious to yeah. think of, of what you think. Just I'd be curious to see what you think just as a matter of, like, comparing them. Yeah. Um, I, I guess to to put my cards on the table right away, I was, I was disappointed by both of them, but I was more disappointed by the, the um, rings of power one. Um, mostly because I have, I have high expectations of it. Um, as, as you say, I'm not, I'm not really a fan of game of Thrones to begin with. So mm-hmm. um, it, it doesn't really matter for me one way or another, how, how that trailer looks, but the, the thing that stuck out to me for, for the rings of power one is, is exactly what you said that it's a completely, it's a trailer that's completely devoid of substance. Uh, mm. It's just uh, the 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 music is vague. It's all it's just kind of 
general uh, trailer music, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the, uh, I like what you said about the, the, the sort of, it, did, it doesn't showcase the, the visual language of the show. Um, that was a good way of putting it. I thought it's just, it's non-committal. It's just kind of a, a series of meaningless uh, snapshots that, that don't mm-hmm. really give you a sense of what they're trying to do with the show. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's because the trailer sucks. Um, I'm hoping it's not because that the show itself <laughs> is going to be completely devoid of substance. Yeah, and uh, yeah. and and the you know the trailer isn't showing anything because there's nothing to show, mm. um, which is a very real possibility. Because the the other thing that's true for for both of these trailers is a general problem that that I've been having with with the state of modern cinema, and here we're sort of veering away from from. Um, Tolkien specifically, but That's right. go for it. <laughs> but um, there, there's a there's a way in, w- in which uh, CGI and the overuse of it seems to be seems to be really ruining modern filmmaking, and this is both for cinema and television, which is more or less the same thing nowadays. And if you look to the original Lord of the Rings movies that were made, I don't know when when were they like 2000 ish, give or take a few years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously there was CGI used then, uh, you know, in, in bits, but those movies looked, you know, for all their faults as an adaptation, those movies looked compared to the Hobbit and compared to how the trailer makes the rings of power seem, they looked spectacular. Um, and it was largely because a lot of it was, was real. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's something that's a, a common theme with older movies compared to new movies uh, in the way that CGI is used. Um, there, there was an article that uh, this guy, his name is Eric Cole. Uh, he, he has a substack called The Intrinsic Perspective. And he wrote an yeah. article about how CGI is ruining movies a, a while ago. And I thought that was really brilliant. And uh, there was one comparison that stuck out about the the sand in, in, the, <laughs> in the recent movie Dune mm-hmm. and uh, the sand in Lawrence mm-hmm. of Arabia. And, and the way that the shadow is is not completely... The, the shadows aren't completely um, opaque in Lawrence of Arabia because that's not how shadows work. I'm not a scientist. I don't know exactly why that is. But in, in Dune, it was all CGI'd, and in Lawrence of Arabia, they were actually in the desert. So um, obviously that looks more real. And uh, and your eye can sort of uh, capture that. You're, without knowing exactly why something looks real or not, your eye can can just tell. And to yeah. me, the, the sum total of that the sum total, what a stupid phrase. Um, the, the, <laughs> the, the final effect of that is that, is that so much of modern, especially fantasy uh, stuff just looks like video game to me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what both of these look like. Um, more than, more than not actually showing anything about the, the plot or like you said, the visual language, there was just, there's no sense of style for either of these because they looked like nondescript fantasy genre movie or tv show coming out or slash it could have been a video game for all i'm concerned you know um the the way that it was presented to me so i thought it was very disappointing in that sense again like Mm -hmm. i liked what you said about how it didn't feel like middle earth because um again going back to the original lord of the rings movies that peter jackson made i I think there was there was a, a sense of place there and I guess mm. that play was that New Zealand for for most of it. Is that what they did? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. They, just various locations around there, but but they were sort of out of place, you know, filming filming things or at least you know filming things in miniature, 
and using mm-hmm. using sort of scale and 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 angles and CGI when they had to, but um, it just it it feels more gritty. It feels more real. And and this show, at least from the trailer, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, is this this isn't a place? This is all this is all just it's code and it's uh it's again it's it's a video game to me and mm-hmm. I think that's that's disappointing because. Um, yeah, that's one of the things that the that's one of the few things that the Lord of the Rings movies did really well. I thought. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't know what you what you have to what you have to say about all that. Yeah, well, I just I would just agree. I think um, I like that article that you mentioned from Substack. Um, I think I read it, you know, off Twitter when you <laughs> shared it or whatever. Pardon me. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I don't know. I mean, this show, yeah was shot in New Zealand as well, the Rings of Power, um, at least mm. for the first season. So we'll see if that, you know, ultimately gives a sense of place and, and rootedness that the films had, at least the first film. The, 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 the third Lord of the Rings film, I think, lost a bit of that. But Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it would be good, I think, if, if they could try and... Um, replicate that i guess to some degree but um yeah i i don't know I, I did see a lot of people online sort of praising the cinematography of of um of the house of the dragon trailer and you know th- there is a greater sort of maybe a, a more sort of coherent sense of the of, of the of kind of the i don't know the cinematic perspective in that trailer or just of the cinematic in that trailer than there was in the rings of power trailer which yeah sort of as we said, jumped around from sort of barely comprehensible scene to one, one barely comprehensible scene to another. Um, so, you know, I hope the trailer is not a reflection of the show and that it actually is good because the last thing I want is for Game of Thrones to be like, you know, somehow, <laughs> somehow for that to sort of um, get a better rap than, than, um, than Tolkien's world, especially when the second age is so rich in sort of thematic potential. Um, it would be unfortunate that, that Martin's kind of blase bland of medievalism was, um, you know, taken as, as sort of canonical, but we'll see, I guess. Yeah. That's my worry too, that, that, uh, it, it all just sort of blends together in in general sort of like you said uh just g- general fantasy kind of banal there's no there's no real meat to it and um i, w- I worry that that they that they're going to go in that direction with with the token because i don't think it needs that whereas yeah. the, i don't i don't I haven't read game of thrones but i get the sense that it is much more of a sort of what you would think is a traditional fantasy, and it does need the sort of the pyrotechnics, say, uh, um, to to make well. it to make it work in a way that I'm not sure that um, I, I think with with anything, especially with anything second age related, I think you can get away with a visual language that's really sparse and bare bones, actually, and and that would actually mm. be a really cool aesthetic to to yeah. really. Um, pared down. I mean, I'm trying to think like you know what would what what could someone like Werner Herzog do? with the second age, you know, if we're just, if we have like a crew of like 10 people and three cameras, like I think something special could be made of that. You know? I'm not sure I want to know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're, <coughs> pardon me. You're right that, um, yeah, that, that there are certain approaches that could be taken um, that could give a very, I don't know, artistic flavor, I guess, to that period. But um, you know, looking at that trailer, it doesn't doesn't um, inspire much confidence in that. <laughs> um, you know, it looks more yeah. like the Wheel of Time show than, for example, it should, I think, at least in that trailer. And when I say that, I think I don't necessarily even mean that the costumes look bad like the Wheel of Time costumes. Some people have said that, but I think they're just mixing up or they're confusing the, um, say, costuming with the sort of visual presentation um, because I, I think the Wheel of Time was so badly written and so disjointed and sort of... Um, just badly shot with that, um, you know, it, it wouldn't have mattered what sort of costumes they were wearing. I think it would have been terrible either way, but. Wait, I'm sorry. What, what is the, the wheel of time? Uh, uh, sorry, so that was another that. recent fantasy adaptation um, mm. that Amazon did. And uh, well, when I say recent, I think it was last year. Um, and I watched the first season of that, but it was just, it was really bad in almost every respect. There was very little that was, um, uh, redeeming about it at all, unfortunately. Hmm. So compare, you know, and there's been a sense that the Lord of the Rings show might turn out like that, that yes, it will have a lot of money lavished on it, but it will be poorly shot, badly written, and will sort of look like characters are running around in cosplay. And, and, you know, that'd be the worst outcome because this is so much more, well, from my point of view, I think it's so much more important a work and a world and a universe than The Wheel of Time is. So to adapt it badly, I think, does violence to the original work. And, you know, I know there's this there's this argument that one hears sort of at, repeated ad nauseum that the books are always there on the shelf. But, you know, I think adaptations, they have an effect on how these works are... Um, consumed and understood um, in the popular imagination and the sort of critical scholarly world as well. So, you know, it would be unfortunate if there was a, if there was a bad adaptation um, of the work. Um, yeah. I mean, especially of something like the, the second age where we're not, we're not liable to get many and often made um, no, no. Uh, ad- adaptations of it. Right. It's not a, so yeah, so I, I think you know this one obviously it, it does matter that, that this yeah. goes well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, on some level, of course, it, it, that 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 idea is true that the, the books are always there, and you know the adaptation will eventually sort of fold back into obscure sort of history if it's bad. Um, that's true, but you know, look at how sort of the legacy of, for example, Game of Thrones, and I'm talking about the sorry, I should say the Song of Ice and Fire books, how they've sort of been tarnished by the the bad seasons of Game of Thrones at the end, which were almost universally derided. You know, are they they books which now have quite as much cultural purchase as they did perhaps in the 2010s? I don't think so. Um, I'm certainly not motivated to read anymore if they are, if if he ever finishes them. Um, You know, I just don't really, I mean, I never really, you know, I'm a bad example because, although I've read the books up to where they are now, um, I don't really care much about the world or the project that he's trying to accomplish. Um, 
I think it's been done better by other people. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, so I just think that, that the, yeah, the, the reputation of, of, if you're worried about reputation of certain works, then yeah. Um, adaptations do matter. Um, if you're not worried about the reputation, then, then fine. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it can be, yeah, it can be important. I, I will say just, just real quick that there's a slight, mm. um, difference in that. I, I think with Game of Thrones being so much less substantive, it's much more liable to be affected by shoddy adaptations of it, of, of, of the, of the books, you know, whereas I think Tolkien is first of all, more removed uh, from, from us just mm-hmm. in terms of uh, That's true. time. And secondly, it has, it has more of a secure place in, in literature and, and scholarship that yeah. I think, I think, you know, a, ba- a bad adaptation would, wouldn't be good for it, but I think it could shake it off in a way that, I'm not True, sure yeah. that Game of Thrones could. And uh, again, I haven't I haven't read Game of Thrones or seen it, so maybe I'm just talking out of my ass. But to me, there's there's not much in there that's. Or sorry, not maybe. I'm definitely talking out of my ass. But to, to me, there's not a. <laughs> there doesn't seem to be much much substance that it could uh, it could sustain itself through the generations, um, on on its own, you know, and certainly not mm-hmm. um, being sandbagged by a bad adaptation. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's maybe true. Um, yeah, I mean I have my own opinions on Game of Thrones, which we can get into perhaps another time. But um, and perhaps we can watch like yeah. an episode of the House of the Dragon show or something. It'd be interesting to talk about it while sure, the show sure. is coming out, and we could yeah. sort of compare, um, you know, the shows. Um, but maybe you know the, the first episodes or something. I wouldn't yeah. want to do that for every episode. I think that would get tedious and that's not what this podcast is, but <laughs> maybe the first episode. Yeah, um, that would be a real pivot, huh? From, from reading Token to watching yeah. Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's already a million Game of Thrones podcasts, so I, I don't want to add to that. But um, yeah, so anyway, look, I just wanted to mention that and talk about it. And of course, we will talk about the show when it comes out. I think that's unavoidable. And I am genuinely looking forward to it, actually. Um, it's got some good actors in it. Um, Morpeth Clark. He's playing Galadriel is, is great. And um, it's, uh, yeah, so, so I'm looking forward to her performance. Um, and if the writing's good, if, you know, I'll forgive set design. If if the set design's bad, you know, if the writing's good, then I'll be interested in the show. Um, sure, sure. But, uh, but, you know, of course I want it to look good. And, and you know, I, I don't think, I, I suspect that the trailer is not, at least not fully representative of how the show will sort of look. I think it would be... It will be more cin- cinematic, and and with the right musical, with the right score, it'll sort of feel different as well. I think people's people don't realize perhaps how much their emotions are affected by the music, or how much the <laughs> response is, is affected by the music. And of course, as yeah. you mentioned, the trailer music for the Rings of Power was uh, some generic thing, whereas the trailer music for House of the Dragon was from the composer. Um, what's his name? Um, God, I can't remember now. But um, I actually don't know who does the Game of Thrones yeah, music. Um, I'll just look at that. Um, it's uh, <laughs> um, Raman Jawadi. That's right. I don't know if you've heard of him, but yeah. Um, no. uh, yeah, it's a great score. And of course that, that helps immensely. <laughs> and I think maybe just like darkening everything down seems to help a lot 
it seems to give things a sort of patina of serious seriousness that a very bright color palette somehow misses. But anyway, um, yeah. and, so, and space, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, just the, the pace needs to just, uh, yeah, just slow yeah. everything down. I, that, yeah. I think that's yeah, one more thing that the, the, the Lord of the Rings yeah. movies, at least the first one, I, I think the, the, the fellowship of the ring movie was probably the best made mm. film. Mm. I, I don't, I, you know, oh, we yeah. can discuss the merits of the adaptations. Well, we did oh, that yeah. actually, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But the fellowship of the ring was the best of the films. And, and that one, oh, I yeah. just loved the, the sense of, of place. The, the pace was delightfully slow, especially in the director's cut. And, and the music is, is brilliant. It, it just, you know, it, it took its time and, and, yeah. and trailers, you know, they don't take their time. So hopefully that'll be different. Yeah. I did think the house of the dragon trailer was nicely put together in that it, um, it allowed shots that it allowed for, for, for sort of shots that, um, you know, took their time a little bit, you know, um, the, the, the rings of power trailer was, was very sort of hastily put together. It was edited like a, you know, like a speed racer, just flying from one thing to the next. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It yeah, talks I, big, I hope... but it doesn't last, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I hope that um, I hope that they can just put together a better trailer, and I think that'll alleviate a lot of fears um, if they can do that. Yeah. Um, and also, I should mention here another good trailer came out like the, I think the day before, two days before, which was the Obi Wan Kenobi trailer. Which I don't know if you saw that. Did you see that one? I did not see that one. No, right. Okay. Uh, for, for the Disney six-part series. Um, mm. Of course, not that I really want to advertise for Disney, but um, that also looked like a good trailer, and Ewan McGregor is great, so I will watch that at some point too. Um, is this part but, of the, you know, the, the new, we're going to have a new Star Wars every year? Um, <laughs> well, this is for the, um, this is a show, so... Yeah. Oh, okay, it's a show. Um, okay, yeah. Not not a film, but uh, it looked very cin- cinematic. Um, so hopefully it'll yeah be good. Anyway, so that that's just, that was I just something I w- wanted to mention that. Um, um, oh wait, and, sorry, just just real quick, I, I'll, yes. I will say I just uh, one, one one bone to pick with the Game of Thrones trailer at the at the end of it, the mm. nar- the narrator had a line and he said something like, "History doesn't remember blood; it remembers names." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? <laughs> Completely uh, meaningless statement, it, right? <laughs> I, I take it to mean that, like, again, it's sort of the cynical perspective of, of Martin and Game of Thrones. It's that, you know, history is kind of not only is it written by the winners, it's sort of it's written by the most ruthless ruthless among among us so that, you know, all the, all the sacrifice and um, bloodletting is sort of meaningless and... You know, it's not remembered. What's remembered is, you know, we don't remember the the gulags. We remember Stalin. Ah, um, ah. I, I don't know how that true that that is, um, because Stalin is is fairly reviled now. Um, I guess you could make the case in China that Mao is kind of still worshipped, but you know, the Cultural yeah. Revolution is kind of um, is, is kind of forgotten. But that's a very you know. So I, I don't know. In in sort of a quasi medieval context, um, you know. Uh, what does it mean to say that his, history um, history only remembers names? I, I don't know. Um, not certainly not not today. I would I would think, but I mean maybe that's yeah. true in a kind of a uh, mythologized history. But yeah, it's probably LA, true. 
the Iliad's got a lot of blood in it, so I don't, I don't know if if you call that sort of a mythologized kind of telling of history. Um, I'm not sure that's true. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I think history remembers plenty of blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the, the, the cynic cynicism of kind of Game of Thrones, and, and that's why its audience loves it because I think the readers of that. I think they fancy themselves kind of cynical realists, and mm-hmm. um, that, that's the kind of, of like a sort of faux hardcoreness. Yeah, to it. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. You know, <laughs> um, it's it's a strange Game of Thrones stands are kind of weird, um, a weird bunch. <laughs> They're very defensive, but also um, like really, like really um, protective of Martin and sort of. It's not just the books that they seem to love. It's the whole sort of worldview, the whole cynical kind of thing going on with Martin. Yeah. Um, you know, there's really no, there's really no virtue. It's just all about power and politics and chaos as a ladder. And they love, they love, you know, well, yeah, again, <laughs> you won't know, you know, but if you haven't seen the show, but, but it's just, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's, it's a, I, know, it's a, I don't know, what would you call it? It's a phase in fantasy that sort of happened, the grimdark phase, I guess, so-called. Mm. Mm. And my feeling is that that's not sort of 2000s, 2010s, kind of over now. Um, but, you know, it seems like in the show we're going to sort of get a, a last hurrah for that perspective. Um, yeah, but we'll see how popular it is. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, in the age of Russia invading Ukraine, you can continue to sort of have a kind of moral, a neutral moral stance towards people and sort of forgive them their sins, as it were, in the face of their, um, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the name of sort of, um, in the name of sort of cynical realism. Um, yeah, I don't know yeah. if that's really possible. Well, I mean, so you heard it here. If uh, if the Game of Thrones show tanks, then it's uh, it's all Putin's fault. So, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that was exactly my point. <laughs> yeah, so what you're saying is <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I guess my my point is that um, it's all very it's all very well to like have no moral sort of or to sort of profess to not have a uh, to have a cynical stance towards questions of ethics and moral character and judgment and to sort of create characters who who are morally abhorrent but who you sort of ask your readers to have sympathy with right um i mean that's an interesting um perspective and even tolkien does that with gollum and um and some other characters in the silmarillion we can certainly have have sympathy, but I think Martin goes further and maybe even suggests that we're kind of all like that, actually, and that there really is no moral perspective which is pure enough to sort of lay claim to, you know, sort of the the right to make moral judgments. Um, I think that is kind of bullshit. Um, yeah, I think there are moral distinctions that can be drawn between people and actions. Um, yeah. And you know, the, the people, Game of Thrones fans, act as though moral realism is this kind of weird, 
ideology, but it's really not um, it's shared, I would say, by most people. Um, and, you know, to, to act as though sort of moral relativism is, is kind of um, the only philosophically viable stance to have is, is kind of ridiculous, I think. Hmm. Um, I don't know what you think about this. Yeah, I mean, it, it, within I mean, fantasy... What, what you're saying... Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah go, go, on, on. go on, go on. Sorry, I talked well, too much. Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. I, I was just going to say what, what you're saying to me sounds a lot like um, what I think about um, people who are kind of Ayn Rand fans. There's a kind the of weird similarity. Grand there, fans, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a, it's a sort of, it's sort of um, a, a moral relativism that's sort of drawing upon a, a, a really is astonishingly deep well of cynicism about uh, about the world and about human nature. And uh, yeah, mm. I, don't know, I don't know if that's that's a viable comparison. But I mean, the thing about Game of Thrones stands are often like really left wing. So there's this really like... Um, you know, Martin is very anti-war, um, and obviously, I would agree with that stance in general. You know, one doesn't <laughs> want to be pro-war, but 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 I guess the the point is like um, he's of that sort of Vietnam generation that you know, um, some might say even naive uh, in his sort of. I don't. Know, I don't. I don't want to impugn the character of him. I don't know. You know, a whole lot about his history, but um, but certainly, it, it's sort of the. The, seri- the, the very sort of hardcore um, fans of Game of Thrones, it, it, it becomes, well, from, from what I've observed, it becomes a very, um, it's a very political sort of thing. Um, hmm. It's like Ayn Rand, you know, hardcore libertarian sort of stuff. For Ma- Martin, is sort of hardcore. Uh, his fans are a kind of hardcore leftist of, of a certain kind, um, sort of cynical with regards to the moral with, with regards to the actions of people in power, right? Which was why in Game of Thrones, everyone who has any sort of power is just a kind of manipulative asshole, right? There's sort of no <laughs> exception to that. Either that or they're, um, or they're naive idiots, like um, the, the, the main character in the first book, a Game of Thrones, um, Eddard Stark, who sort of is, is, is destroyed by his honourable intentions released that so so the you know the story of the book is is seen to sort of exemplify this um this dynamic so you know people in power assholes everyone war when it happens is only a kind of um, cynical ploy to gain power again there's that oft-repeated chaos as a ladder you know we just use water sort of gain power there's no sort of moral (laughs) questions involved it's always um in fact, such questions are always too complicated or uncertain to answer anyway, and so we should just kind of, um, uh, you know, accept the fact that anyone in power is going to um, is going to act only in their own interest, and um, they're going to sort of run roughshod over the the, the small folk, as, as Martin would call them. So it's a very particular kind of reading of, say, the Middle Ages, but more generally just of the world that it is. And I think, I think what for a lot of people, in, um, a lot of fans of Game of Thrones, what it sort of represents for them it is a sort of uh, vision of how the world actually works. This is how history is. This is not just a fantasy world. It is kind of history, um, and you know, 
So we, we're not going to make moral distinctions. We're going to sort of cultivate sympathy even for um, even for what we might conventionally call bad people because actually people are complex and we're all kind of like that anyway. You know, if we all could, we'd all, we'd all you know, given the right circumstances, any of us would commit incest and kill children and, you know, um, you know, so, so I think I think that um, I, I, I don't think that's too much of an exaggeration either. It's sort of a, it's this. I think was it Faulkner who's said something about literature being the you know the conflict of the human heart. Um, you would know that better than me, I suspect. But hmm. you know that that's sort of I the mantra. That. Oh, okay, that, that, that's sort of yeah. the mantra. Oh, I think it was, was it Faulkner. Literature is about the human heart in conflict with itself. Um, paraphrasing. So that that's sort of the mantra, right? It's like there's no there are no sides. It's all just we're all just the same kind of, um, you know. And, and uh, yeah, so I know that <laughs> I said before this wouldn't be about Game of Thrones, but I think it's an interesting. <laughs> you know, what's interesting about these two shows coming up and battling literally, you know, in the same sort of space, the same time frame is is that you know will there be a kind of very clear distinction? shown in, in these shows between these sort of this cynical vision of the world where, um, uh, you know, everyone is, everyone in power is kind of, yeah, as I mentioned, like this asshole, there's no good side, there's no moral, in fact that, you know, moral distinctions kind of become meaningless and, and we're even encouraged to have sympathy for, as I said, sort of bad characters because why not, you know, we're all like that anyway. Um, or, you know, do we have a world where moral distinctions can be drawn and um, although moral questions can be complex, they're not intractable? Um, and I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, if the shows, if either of the shows um, actually embody that or if, for example, the, uh, the Rings of Power show ends up just sort of conforming to that cynical view because it's quite a, I would say it's quite a common one. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know if in, that in makes general, any that's sense. A, no, that makes perfect sense. And in general, that's, that's a, that echoes a general concern that I have about the show, which is, which is that it's just going to, it's just going to meld itself into sort of the, the sort of faddish modern conceptions of, of certain sort of fantasy tropes, you know, which mm. I think we talked about maybe in the very first episode that we did together about how token is very much not of that sort of fantasy um, mm. idiom and, and, and why that's yeah. why that uh, actually is, is what makes it more, more substantive than, than much of the sort of common uh, fantasy literature. And um, yeah, my, my, my worry is that, is that the show will just sort of, easily sort of elide itself into that, into that world, which, I mean, the, the, the movies have already, have already sort of m- made their way towards that, you know, a mm, little bit. A little bit, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it'll be interesting, like you said, to, to watch them side by side and, and see yeah. how, um how distinct they are because the, the source material is, uh, seems it's to be distinct. very distinct. Yeah. So yeah. That's not to say that, yeah. And that's not to say that Tolkien doesn't have sort of internal conflict within characters, um, but it's a it comes from a different i guess philosophical sentiment or a different set of sentiments um 
and I think that's what people are sort of detecting when they say things like Tolkien talks about good and evil, uh, but nothing in between. Um, I mean, first of all, that's wrong. Um, but but I think what that sort of statement is saying is that Tolkien has a kind of moral sensibility and makes moral judgments about characters and therefore um, maybe steals or maybe confiscates that capacity from the reader by making it himself. So in, in Martin, for example, when we meet, now this won't make sense to you, but hopefully readers, <laughs> readers listeners will, will, will understand. Uh, but there's a character, for example, Jamie Lannister in the novels who is sort of given a whole arc and by convention, any conventional conventional moral standard, he is like a fairly bad character, right? But we're sort of encouraged to grow with the character and develop sympathy for the character. Um, and we don't know how the character will end up in the books because they have, the, the the last couple of books are not well; uh, they haven't been finished and, and produced, <laughs> uh, published. Um, and, you know, so the, the, the question is, you know, can, uh, so literature can obviously do that. Um, it's in its power to sort of affect, it has within its power, um, the ability to affect sympathy, uh, for certain characters and, and one might, one, um, perspective might be that. Martin simply leaves it leaves it up to the reader to um, you know as to their judgment of that character. Um, but I think the idea that Martin is sort of more open than Tolkien is <laughs> is not correct because it's still I think it's still kind of manipulative of the reader um, in that context. I think um, there are still sort of subtle moral. Um, Positions being taken in the in the writing um, that the reader is encouraged to to share, and you know, I think at least that um, some honesty about that would be good from Game of Thrones fans, as opposed to this sense that well, you know, um, Tolkien is just black and white, has only black and white characters, and therefore. Um, you know, is, is, is a sort of inferior moralist to, to Martin who sort of leaves it all open. I don't think that's what's going on in either case, but anyway. Um, well, I mean, with, with uh, I think it's wrong to say that, that Token operates only with good and evil, nothing in between. Mm-hmm. I think maybe, maybe a more accurate statement would be that he operates in a world where in general there is such a thing as good and evil and yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that yeah. just, you know, that, that exists, which I think is, is, uh, on the whole, true, and um, yeah, exactly. And then yeah. as to these, the sort of it almost sounds like a quasi blank slate argument that that um, that you're ascribing to to Martin mm-hmm. fans, um, which I don't think is it's true. You know, even if I look at something like Lolita, um, where you are sort of you are sort of taken through the, yeah. the pages of Humbert Humbert's mind. I mean, I think even Nabokov. Has said that the that the novel is is very it's, it's reflexively uh, mean to Humbert Humbert, right? That the, the novel is 
is uh yeah is, yeah. is, is it's clear that yeah. the novel has an opinion on on Humbert Humbert's actions. Yes, um, yes. And, it's not simply and, that you're being encouraged to yeah to, to sort of to, to just uh, sort of sit with his perspective and therefore and make no judgments or make it yeah. or even make a positive judgment. Um, yeah, no, it's it, yeah. it's in the language, right? The the language that uh, even it's yeah. in his name, his name is 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 is, a, is cruel. His name is a cruel sound, and it's it's a cruel repetition, right? And and in the language <laughs> yeah. that he uses to um to to describe his actions, it's 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 hard to describe. You just it's just uh it, because it's something that you do when you're it's something that at least I do instinctively when I'm reading. But the the mm. the language is it forms an opinion or it, it sort of nudges you towards an opinion. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think it's really possible for language to be entirely neutral, at least not in a novelistic sense. I mean, maybe like an HR document will be fairly neutral, but you know, that's unreadable, right. <laughs> or, or legalese. <laughs> um, I mean, but, yeah. but a novel, I mean, I, I don't know how much it is possible to just sort of describe horrible things and just say, um, you know, you, you decide yeah. whether this is good or bad. There, there's no, there's no, yeah, I don't know. What, what That's do you what think I think. That? I just wish like Game of Thrones fans would be just honest about that and say, well, actually you are being encouraged to sympathize with like morally abhorrent characters. And maybe some of them would say that and say, well, that's a good thing, right? Because then we get this different perspective. It's like, well, yeah, okay, um, maybe. I don't know what kind of experiment that is. Maybe it's a kind of thought <laughs> experiment. Um and, you know, literature is, of course, famous, you know, for often, for example, Milton, right, in Paradise Lost, famously, um, Satan is kind of a sympathetic character. Um, and, you know, maybe there's some efficacy in, in, in sort of being able to see the world from the perspective of evil, but don't call it, I guess, what I would say is don't call it not evil, don't call it something else, right? Don't, don't act as though it's kind of normal or that we all actually... Um, we're just all the same. We we all have that capacity. I don't. I don't think that's true. Um, right. Right. Yeah. I. I don't know. <laughs> it's. It's a. I just. I detect some sort of hypocrisy there that, that kind of annoys me, or, or some sort of like moral um, naivety. Like, um, and I, I guess my my original point going back to that was that you know now that we you know in in this world where there's sort of clear you know. There's clearly, clearly no morally defensible like reason for the invasion of Ukraine or anything like that. One, one can sort of cite cite endlessly the geostrategic position of Russia, but none of that will um, sort of make you know the killing of civilians right. It, it doesn't sort of yeah. And to inhabit the sort of the to inhabit the um, the consciousness of the Russian soldiers doing that killing would not, I think, you know, might be of interest, might be of psychological interest, but it wouldn't sort of wouldn't change the moral balance in any way so i, I don't right. know about the F, the efficacy of sort of using fantasy literature as a kind of um this kind of morally relative space I, I don't think it says very much or does anything interesting with questions of ethics because in the end again i, I just think you're being asked to sympathize with morally dubious people <laughs> morally dubious characters and i don't know what that sort of achieves yeah, and I think the the crux of it is is that, um, how do I say this? So it's it would be one thing to, um, or not. It, it's not that it would be one thing, but um, so l- let's stick with this case of the the. Let's say there's a novel about 
uh, Russian general who's ordering, you know, the shelling of the uh, the children's hospital in Mariupol or something like that. Very specific novel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I'm not sure yeah. how fun that would be, but you know, here we are. Um, and it, it's you know it, the the novel that sort of tries to explore his his psyche and sort of get the reader um, to to sort of go through the paces of his mind. That novel would be interesting only insofar as it is it uh, as it then takes a stance on um, on the general mm. morality of of that of that general or of what's happening, because the 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 whole the whole thing is 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 pointless. The whole thing of learning the the, the whole thing of of sort of trying to get into the mind of evil is pointless if you don't admit that it's evil, right? If you, yeah. um, mm. I don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, again, or going back to to. Um, Humbert Humbert. I mean, it, it's only there's only a substance in 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 the narration of Lolita uh, be, because what because the, the the novel is clear that that um, that this is wrong that this is like a that this is a tragedy and and it's 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 an important act it's a series of important acts that um, Humbert Humbert is carrying out. So the the whole thing of being asked to sympathize with evil would it just it loses. Uh, it's 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 ground as soon as you 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 know fail to admit that evil exists. So yeah, that yeah. that that's where that's where um the sort of the the, the meek uh the sort of relativist position just completely fails to me as as fiction. You know. Yeah, yeah. It it also fails its ethics for for all the reasons that you pointed out. But to me, it also just uh, the, the the times that I read books like that, I think there's just there's no. There's nothing there for me to to, to latch onto. I don't know what you. Yeah, you have to I mean, say could, about that? could one write a novel about Stalin inhabiting Stalin's point of view that um, that is not asking you to cast a judgment on him? I, I guess you could, in a sort of limited sense, right? You could sort of try and try and do that, but um, I don't know how you could sustain that uh, neutrality for very long. Um, but I, but I think that's essentially what Martin does, except he uses fictional characters, uh, but they're sort of similarly morally abhorrent. And so I don't know really what the point of doing that is, um, apart mm. from to to ask the reader to believe that that we're all sort of in that position, that we're somehow all like that. Um, <laughs> right, right. That it's, it's actually that it's power only. That's yeah, the corrupting yeah. influence, and that actually we're all the same and we would all act the same if we were yeah. given the same sort of and scale. I, yeah. And I think his fans kind of see this as a kind of hard hitting realism. Like, yeah, but this is the mature way to think about power. I mean, to me, that's just a, it's, that's like a, it's just a, a like you said, it's, it's, it's a, it's a faux hard hitting realism, but it's, it's essentially a variation on the same argument that yeah. say Christians use when, when they say that, uh, you know, if it weren't for, if it weren't for God, you know, we would all be raping and pillaging and, uh, yeah, yeah. like I just why, why in that case I don't know like why in that case make moral judgments about the world like why 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 condemn Putin I mean if we're all just kind of like that what does it matter we're all just interchangeable with him um, if we're in the same situation we're leaders of Russia well we'd want to invade Ukraine too because there are sort of geostrategic imperatives to do so um, you know uh, if we were in like Jamie Lannister's context in game of thrones we would you know we would act similarly i don't know it's it sort of um i think i guess i guess 
you know, in the, in the case of that character, sort of has this this um, this journey. But of course, we don't know the end of it, so it's hard to say if it's like a complete <laughs> moral transformation or if that's even the language that the book is using. I, I don't feel like it really is, as I've said, um, because we're really asked to um, come to sympathise with him um, more. I think because of his sort of the circumstances of his plight as opposed to um, sort of any moral transformation that he undergoes. I, I don't think, but, you know, as I say, it's hard to, it's hard to know because the novels aren't finished. So um, <laughs> get to work. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't care. I'm, I'm not going to read them, but um, <laughs> so I guess I shouldn't comment on this, but, but, you know, I guess I'm just making a point. It doesn't, you know, um, but, no, I think that this uh, is it's all yeah. it's all relevant, and it's been it's been an interesting um, general discussion on the sort of the, the the sort of fundamental ethical differences maybe between between um, yeah Tolkien yeah. and, and Martin, right? Yeah. So, so um, anyway, <laughs> that was a long, long digression, um, but well, you know, I think interesting. And we kind of um, did our Game of Thrones episode now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's something that I'm interested in, in talking about. And I guess I'm just interested in why people see this book series as such a such a counter to Tolkien and what it is that people who like it, pardon me, see as kind of, well, the sort of hard-hitting realism of it and why they actually believe that that's what it embodies um, as opposed to the sort of moral realism of Tolkien, which I don't think is all that unusual really um probably a position held by by most people um and certainly mm, yeah. in, in, the, in the more sort of philosophical meta-ethical space uh, there are many you know moral realism is not an unusual position to have um vis-a-vis theories of ethics um and, and sort of so you know why why in some circles especially in fantasy literature Moral relativism, moral relativism has become such a, a chic position is, is un, uncertain to me. And maybe it's just the case in literature in general, but I'm not sure if you have any sense of why that might be. But hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question. And, and it's also interesting what you say. It's totally true that um, I, I, don't, I don't know many philosophers or I, I, don't, I don't really move in those circles. So I don't know what's hip right now in sort of the academic side of, mm. of philosophy. I'm sure they're always sort of new. Uh, there's like a cyclical uh, fad uh, mm. Mm. situation going on that happens in all fields. But certainly the average person that you would meet on the street is a moral realist, right? I mean, yeah, the, if you just, it, yeah. I mean, so the, that's certainly the case. As as for uh, like as for fantasy, I mean, I, I do wonder if it's just a, a general trend in fiction because it, it seems to me that that's kind of the the hip thing in 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 television too. Like, I, I don't I don't watch all that much TV, so again, I'm I'm going to be talking maybe about shows that I haven't fully seen, but. Um, mm. It seems like there's there's been a I've seen trailers for seen sort of articles about a, an increasing number of shows that seem to not just be focused on on an antihero but but a really sort of um, 
a real sort of debauched uh, protagonist, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah. and it seems it seems kind of uh, maybe maybe it seems like a bit sort of hard ass to 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 watch it and to like it, and uh, it seems to be a general trend that um, like is is Dexter a show like that? Is is that one? Uh, maybe yeah. I haven't seen it in so long, but yes, yeah. I think in general I'd agree with that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And, and that I think is just a, again, like there's a, there's a cycle of fads in, in everything. And I, I wonder if we're just in, in one where it's kind of cool to, to have sort of, you know, Lannister-esque figures and it's mm. kind of cool to, to, um, to, to, to sort of like that. It's it, maybe it shows, uh, it shows that there's a sort of, that you're, enlightened in a way that you that you um you know it, it almost seems like nowadays it's a bit mm. it's a bit banal and passe to to sort of say that you believe in in moral realism um yeah at least in some spaces yeah maybe yeah yeah um, even even though like like you said like the i think the average person is still is still a realist in their day-to-day lives um and i think like most people operate on the assumption yeah, of moral realism, but I well, think once they're, once we start talking about it, I think people maybe feel a little bit embarrassed to to admit that to maybe to admit that right. Like, um, mm, th- mm. there's a bit of a um, there's a bit of in in the general culture. It seems to me that that um, it's a bit it's a bit passe to 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 not be cynical about things, right? It's, mm. That's kind of the, the, the general mode of, of, of discourse. Perhaps, so, yeah. Well, perhaps there's a turn back to sort of um, sort of realism, I, I sense. I, sorry, I, um, moral realism, I should say. Um, in, a, in a sense, uh, people kind of may, maybe are a little sick of the whole, uh, at least that's my sense, sick of the whole relativism fad and you know, in their fantasy, in their, their shows and literature. Um, but, you know, I don't know that for yeah. sure. But um, Also, I just, just one more theory to, to throw out there. I mean, I wonder yeah. if, if it's particularly popular in fantasy because fantasy is a genre in which you can really explore that, right? You can really, um, yeah. you can really explore it without getting your hands all that dirty, right? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, writing that novel that we were saying, where where you um you really have someone sympathize with with Stalin without making any um moral judgments, or um, yeah, that, yeah. the novel about the the, the Russian general in, in Mariupol. I mean, these, these are novels <laughs> that would be tough to read, right? Whereas, um, again, I haven't read Game of Thrones, but you could. It sounds like you know there are these people. They go around, they incest, they cut people's heads off, they do horrible shit, and it you know it, it's a way of sort of doing it without really getting your hands dirty right it's yeah yeah without really getting skin in in the game so maybe that's yeah and i want to reiterate that such novels like the general or stone whatever could be very interesting artistic projects i'm not Mm -hmm. saying they wouldn't be but i'm saying that what would make them i think at least for me somewhat dubious is this notion that um they would sort of encourage the reader to suspend their moral judgment um sort of throughout the um, I don't know. Maybe that would be interesting, right? Uh, as an experiment, but then, um, you know, I think then you couldn't turn around and say, "Well, um, you know, actually, this is just how the world works, and we're all kind of interchangeable." You would have to sort of admit then that 
that's what you're doing. Whereas I think mm. Martin fans, like I, I can't speak for Martin himself or, you know, what he want, what, what his intentions are, but I think Martin ha- fans will say on the one hand that, um, uh, you know, that the, the world actually works like this and that, you know, we're all just kind of interchangeably horrible people. And indeed Martin has said, something like that that i've heard quotes like um you know we'll we'll wake up one morning and you know i don't i'm sure he was exaggerating for effect but they're all sort of like just interchangeably bad um or have the capacity at least for that um and uh you know so so martin fans will, will say that this is the case but then they'll sort of eschew the kind of the responsibility or the, I don't know, the, um, they won't sort of admit to the fact that the novel is, is, is actually just asking them to, as I say, to, um, to just, to, to even sympathize and empathize with, with people sort of of that same moral caliber or lack of moral caliber as, you know, as a, as a, as a historical like personage like Stalin, right. Who's just sort of, you know, um, who knows, you know, who may have, you know, like Hitler loved animals or something, you know, and, and therefore sort of in, in the mind of, of the reader, you know, has some sympathetic quality and is therefore sort of um, approachable on some level. And therefore, you know, who are we to judge them? Because we're all, again, we, we're all sort of the same. But they won't sort of admit to that. It's sort of, you know, um, they're just reading sophisticated literature that, that doesn't take a stance on this stuff that, as though literature can't take a stance. But, you know, I think as you mentioned, even where literature explores characters like that, um, it doesn't, it, it, it can still have a sort of moral position. Yeah. It's kind of, well, so first of all, I, I find the, um, I, I, I've heard a lot of people say this, but um, the idea that Hitler loved animals, whenever I hear that phrase, um, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if that's because, true, but that's just one I've heard. Yeah. Well, I I think it's true to say that he loved non-human animals, but I think whenever people say that, they they forget about uh, you know, he, he did kill a lot of animals too. Well, also yes, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's exactly my point. Yeah, like, but the, the, the fact that the, the fact that there might be sort of morally redeemable qualities about someone doesn't um doesn't excuse or, or sort of scale um or balance the scales um. Mm in the other direction. I mean, and if we look right, at history, right. I think that's where we see it most clearly, right? Like we would never, we would never make, we would never sort of reserve judgment with regards to, you know, 20th century dictators because they have some sort of, you know, choice, you know, maybe they're a conservationist or they love forests, or, you, know, you know, but in a, in a novel, we're sort of like Martin's novels. We're sort of being asked to empathize with, with, uh, with characters on the basis of like, well, they're complicated people because they, yeah, they do this horrible stuff, but they're kind of, you know, they're kind of, uh, I don't know, they have certain good qualities as well and, and therefore sort of, therefore our sort of capacity for moral, making moral judgments is is, is uh, obliterated because, um, because you know, who's to say, right? Who's to say what what's better? And so, you know, again, I think that just creeps into this and, um it's just yeah it's a, it's a weird position uh, and this podcast has kind of yeah. turned into a discussion of that but maybe that's interesting yeah. um because yeah it, it's something i'm sort of on the lookout for in this yeah the new show and, and stuff 
um, the new shows, both of these shows. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of like I don't know if you feel this way or if you watch a lot of comedy, but um, I always find that jokes work with me only if there's some sort of truth there, right? Mm, right. And it can go far afield from that truth. It can go. It can really <laughs> stretch it to the limits. But there has to be something at the at the uh, at, at the pith of it that that is recognizable as something that. Um, is tethered in reality, right? Mm. Um, and to me, it's the same with all art, with all even fiction, even in some weird way that I can't describe uh, music, you know, yeah. because with music, it's just now abstract. So it's a different thing, but there has to be, to borrow a phrase from a different sort of discussion, there has to be a there, there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I can't abide by um, a joke that, the, from the, the the premise i just think is not just sort of in a petty way true or false like when someone says isn't it weird that blah 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 and i'm like well it's not that weird i don't mean that but i mean that there has to be some in the sort of outlook of it there has to be something that is recognizably um like in the real world right and and i think this is true for for me at least in my whenever i watch any kind of even even sci-fi or read sci-fi, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, it's an it's an off it's a, it's a cliche that that um, science fiction is really about about the present, right? But I think that's that, that there's a lot of truth <laughs> to that. Um, and yeah, right, okay. I mean, yeah. you know, um, something like Fahrenheit 451 only works because because it it strikes at something uh, deeply true about about um, about human societies. And, and yeah, and, and, and same with even sort of really far flung sci-fis like the, the, the 2001 A Space Odyssey, the, the, the novel, right? And oh, well, yeah. There's not much there yeah, that's, yeah. that's to do with, um, our, our world, but, but there's still something there that I, I look at and I, and I, I just think like, oh yeah, th- this is, there's, there is a worldview here. It may not be something that I agree with. It may not be something that <laughs> mm-hmm. I entirely understand, but, um, yeah, there, yeah, there's there's yeah. a there there. Whereas novels that are just completely de- devoid of that, I, I find them not only sort of ethically not interesting, but I find them artistic failures as well. But I, I, obviously, mm. that's just my opinion. So interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's not to say that every novel should present some sort of. Um, I don't think what I'm saying is that every novel has to have like a a. Um, you know, a worldview that it, that it puts to the reader or that, or argues for, um, nor am I saying that novels can't explore as it were sort of bad characters. I mean, um, Iris Murdoch's novel, the sea, the sea, the main character is sort of narrating the novel from the first person point of view. And, um, you know, as it were, as a, as a series of diary entries and um, what makes the novel hilariously funny, of course, is that this person who is a terrible person and there's no, like, there's no equivocation about that, you know, is so completely self um, just, just unaware of their own um, sort of hideous dimensions in their personality. And the, you know, the, the, the free way in which they judge all the people around them is, is sort of, you know, an ironic comment on their own sort of, you know, um, horribleness right so so the whole novel rests on a kind of moral judgment that's made before the reader even opens 
the book, there's no question the character is, is sort of, um, is kind of a, you're know, reprehensible in, in many ways. Um, so, you know, it sort that's, of that's basically its, all of Martin Amos characters. Right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, very, yeah. very similar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Iris Murdoch is what, not quite the same generation, but I guess the generation of his Kingsley Amos, maybe, or the, I, I don't know, generation after that. But yes. British writers of that, there seems to be a thing going on there, but um, yeah, Martin Amos is similar in that respect. So, so, um, you know, it's completely interest. It's, it's often very interesting to, to, to explore characters like that, but I don't think that's what Martin does. I think it goes beyond that. And it sort of asks the reader almost to, to sort of, as I've mentioned several times, you know, to, um, suspend judgment of them and sort of act as though this is actually, you know, the world we live in is, is not one that sort of has any sort of moral dimension to it. And that sort of our, or if there is a moral dimension, it's, it's a very sort of simple one in that. Um, in the people in power are just universally bad, um, but also kind of sympathetic because if the peasants changed places with the lords, they would just sort of act in the same way. Um, so, um, you know, I, I guess in some sense that's a very left-wing position again because it's sort of almost critiquing the system and the, the characters therein are sort of sympathetic because they can't really do anything about it. They're sort of fated to be that way anyway. Um, so, yeah. Um, and, and to be clear, if I, if I may just sort of yeah. quickly interject, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. No, um, no, no, please. It's, it's, yeah. it's one thing to say that if the peasants were in the positions of the lords, um, they would act in much the same way, in a systemic way. That might be yeah. true or that might not be true. That's uh, up for debate, but um, that doesn't, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't, negate the need to to sort of point out the the sort of the evilness of, yeah. the, of the of the actions right so to yeah it's, yeah, it's, not, yeah. it's not a good uh, it's not a good thing to fall back on it, it, as a as a sort of more moral excuse yeah so yeah. and i oh no yeah it, no exactly yeah and, and i i feel like um you know uh, i i said before you know martin has heard quotes like that from Martin, like, you know, he'll give a talk and say something like, well, you know, again, you know, we'll wake up one day and, and we'll you know, sort of um, be capable of rapine and, and pillage and on the next day we'll be capable of, of charity and virtue and sort of, <laughs> you know, he said things like that, that, obviously for exaggerated effect, but implying that sort of, yeah, uh, characters are sort of interchangeable and, you know, and, and even when we do attempt, you know, to be, to be good or to do good, you know, in the, in the, in the vein of sort of an Aragorn or, you know, whatever, um, or Frodo or, or something, we, we'll just, we'll end up, um, uh, you know, we, we'll be faced with the sort of the, the realists in our lives who, who will then sort of dismantle us because of the naivety of our, our sort of position. So, um, you know, to take a, I, I guess, in the Lord of the Rings, the closest character, like to the, to the realist, would be like Saruman the Wizard, right? Um, who mm. sort of spouts some of the same kind of rhetoric that sort of Martin puts into the mouths of, of characters like um, uh, uh, Littlefinger, who, who people will know from the novel if, and, and the show if you've watched that. Um, who's the character who says that famous quote? You know, chaos is a ladder. Um, there's a few other things, um, but that's the most famous. Um, and Saruman's not not quite the same, um, but certainly sort of has a, has a sense that, um, or, you know, communicates a sense that, uh, some sort of Machiavellian politics is, is justified given that, um, given that 
the so-called good guys are, you know, supposedly so weak and, and feeble-minded. Um, so, you know, if Saruman had sort of won or if he had um, managed to uh, defeat Gandalf, you know, uh, I think that you know something like that might have might be more closer to what what happened in in a Game of Thrones, the first novel, and, and obviously the first season of the show. Um, but yeah, t- Tolkien sort of eschews that and says, no, no, we we can't um, we can't embrace that position because it's um, self defeating. You know, there are a range of reasons. Um, whereas Martin sort of does embrace that and it, it makes for good drama in the show, right? I mean, Eddard Stark, I would, I would, I would argue that Eddard Stark isn't killed because he's good or honorable. He's killed because he's stupid um, and doesn't see, but there's no necessary connection between good and honorable and, and being stupid. Like you can be good and honorable and stupid, or you can be good and honorable and also very smart and sort of recognize the ploys that your enemies, you know, are, um, you know, have, have, so, so I think there's some sort of equivocation going on there, but um, anyway, yeah, I, I think that, yeah, yeah, it, I think that Martin, Martin's attempt to sort of deconstruct Tolkien, yeah, sort of both misunderstands Tolkien, but also like, um, so produces a, a worldview that doesn't have any sort of internal consistency really. Um, because, as I said, you know, we're being asked to both sort of sympathise with morally dubious characters, but then also to believe that this is how the world really works, that we're all interchangeable with such people, um, which I think is just um, sort of wrong on, on, on several levels. Um, but that also this is, as I say, that this is somehow representative of, of the real world. Um, but... Um, so if you, if you want to, if you want to stay on this for a little bit longer, we may as well, we've been here for an hour. Yeah, yeah. All right. So Honestly, I, think um, this, I think this, uh, podcast is, it's going to be about this. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> so we may as well. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, have, I have a question for you about Game of Thrones. Um, one of the, one of the things that I've heard sort of my, my friends here and there who, who yeah. uh, either read the books or watch the show say is that, um, one of the things they love about it is that it's entirely unpredictable and that it's uh that Martin like they they, yeah, they kind yeah. of they kind of paint Martin out to be this guy who's absolutely ruthless and that's badass and like even you know you never know when a uh you know a protagonist is going to get axed or whatever you know and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I wonder if and my, I guess my question is is if that has anything to do with this sort of uh, you know, deeply sort of cynical, chaotic worldview. That's that's um, so. that's relativistic, yeah. and yeah. And, and do yeah. you think that's that? Do you think so? Uh, you know, we we talked a lot about the the ethics of that, but do you think that also fails at an artistic level, or do you think that's that's a strength for the for the book? Well, I think um, it's a, because to to me to me yeah. just real quick, it, it kind of reminds me yeah, of sorry, um, yeah, yeah. in no 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 um it, like a, a a musical analogy would be like obviously there's tonal music and atonal music, um, but even mm, within atonal yeah. music, um, there's usually a sort of internally consistent system, uh, like the twelve tone yeah. series, and we don't really need to get into that, but you know it's it it just <laughs> basically it it moves from one internally consistent set system to another. 
and even mm-hmm. in even some of the chance music that I really enjoy um it's the same thing it's it's there's more chance in the in the thing but there's actually a really rigorous sort of internal consistency about it and um and that's to me what makes music music short of that you may as well be taking a walk out in in the traffic and and that that really is sort of noise pure chance without any sort of internal consistency but there's no artifice there so i don't know if that's if Mm. I just sort of, you know, you can sort of freely riff on all of that, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, yeah, that certainly was a kind of draw for people to Game of Thrones because as I mentioned, this, this character, Eddard, who was sort of built up as a kind of noble character in the first book and then uh, spoilers dies at the end, um, is executed at the end of the first book, um, you know, which is a supposedly um, surprising, you know, I think anyone who's read a lot of literature, won't necessarily find anything new there, but maybe for those who've only read, you know, fantasy novels between written between 1970 and ni- 1995, we'll find that interesting. But um, <laughs> that's a sick burn, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess my, my point is that like Martin is doing a lot of things that other people have done better, and I guess he's doing them in the fantasy genre. But ah, I don't know. I mean, even Tolkien kills characters off like in the Silmarillion and yeah I mean in the Lord of the Rings I, I know that you know um sure it's true that um uh you don't have a sort of noble character who dies at the end of the well you have Boromir okay so he but but you could argue that he's not really a noble character and that he's not put in that same position I mean he, he is a noble character actually in the end but you could argue that he's he's not in the same sort of position, and that in some sense his death is kind of earned, right? Because because he tries to take the ring and blah blah blah. Yeah, but um, and his death is structurally important, like yes, as yes. a as a sort of way to to yeah, it's both earned and and necessary for his sort of redemption. You know, but one you know one one could also yes, exactly, and one could also make the that case for Eddard Stark, not that his death is earned in a moral sense, but that he's sort of it's earned in a structural sense because he didn't. And, and exactly that, that, that is indeed the point of, 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 I think, the book, right? I mean, he doesn't play the Game of Thrones. He's not that cynical bastard who will play. Now, as I said before, whether there is a necessary connection between sort of being cynical and um, sort of amoral and then uh, on the one hand and sort of fa- you know, a naivety and sort of noble nobility on the other is, I think, again, a sort of false equivalence. Um, you know, I, I think one could easily imagine a sort of a, a noble figure who uh, who is also, if not themselves, a Machiavellian who is aware of their schemes and strategies, right? You know, one could imagine an Eddard Stark who sees right through uh, Littlefinger. Um, now, you might say the point the book is making is that if you are that noble, you sort of can't recognise you know, ignobility, ignobility um, in your midst, you just sort of, and okay, I mean, I guess that's a defensible position. Um, you, you could sort of say that, but, um, you know, the people who sort of have this sort of high moral um, position are, are kind of, you know, incapable of sort of seeing the flaws in others, but, you know, I don't know if that's true. I mean, it, so it, it certainly makes for interesting drama, and I, in that first novel, at any rate, I think, which is I think still just the, the best of, of those novels, um, one 
I think the character of, of Eddard Stark is painted pretty well and, and one can believe that he would end up in that situation. But again, I don't think it's because he's noble. I think it's because he's sort of stupid and doesn't seem to recognize um, like the scheming that's going on around him. Um, and, and I, I don't know how anyone could trust someone like Littlefinger anyway. So I don't know, sort of, you know, it's sort of almost unbelievable to me that he would have trusted this guy. Um, Anyway, again, it's a name like Littlefinger, huh? Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but so, so yes. I mean, it, it's on the one hand, it's it's kind of an interesting ploy, but then I think the notion that that sort of is what um, sets Martin apart from Tolkien is, um, again, it, yes. Ultimately, I think that that sort of ploy of um, at least in the show and to an extent in the books as well, that sort of ploy of killing off protagonists, for example, is sort of connected with this notion that with, again, this judgment that sort of, you know, nobility and sort of a moral point of view are sort of all hypocritical and um, people like that sort of deserve to die anyway because they're silly and stupid and, and naive and, you know, unless you play the Game of Thrones, you're sort of going to lose. And in the end, the Game of Thrones is all that there is. And there were some words to that effect in this new trailer, um, right? The, the House of the Dragon trailer. Uh, the opening, I said, you know, our short mortal lives, what do we have to do except, you know, attain power, blah, blah, blah. Um, and again, so, so yes, it, it, it is sort of, it's both sort of a, an interesting one-off literary thing, but then it becomes, and of course, you know, for those who've read Game of Thrones, the Red Wedding, of course, is another example of this. Um, and you know, on the one hand, it's kind of a, it's a very cool, fun piece of drama that reflects certain events that did occur in history. Um, something similar happened in, of course, Braveheart, <laughs> the film Braveheart. Um, and uh, so, 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 su- such things. Um, of course, do occur, but again, it, it's not the it's not the sort of the event like that itself that that is um, that that is odd to me. It's the notion, it's the sort of position connected to it that sort of says that well, um, you know, because the noble are so naive and stupid, and apparently this is just universally true, um, we should therefore not only sort of eschew nobility ourselves because it's hypocritical and stupid anyway, but we should sort of embrace the Game of Thrones. We should embrace the cynical Machiavellian, the the, the, the cutthroat, because that's all that's actually sort of, that's all that matters in our, in our you know, all, that's all that can matter in our lives. Um, now, I don't know if, I don't think Martin is necessarily saying this, but again, I think, there's something in perhaps if one were to treat it as a kind of extended allegory, I think the perhaps what might be said of it is that Martin is suggesting that the systems we have in the world sort of encourage this and therefore, um, or that they, you know, incentivize that kind of behavior and therefore it's the, it's the, again, it's that, that systemic kind of left-wing um, critique that, that is coming through, right? That people aren't evil. It's just the, um, it's kind of the systems that enable their worst kind of natures to come out. And we're all sort of equally bad in that sense. Um, we could, again, it comes back to that, you know, we, we could just replace the peasants, the lords of the peasants, and, and we'd all sort of act um, 
the same and to act nobly in that context is, 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 is hypocritical and absurd and stupid. And, um, so, you know, I think that's, that's sort of the, the core of Martin's philosophy, I, th- I think, from what I can gather. Um, and therefore, you know, that, that's also sort of what the, the got the, the Game of Thrones stands, the kind of little hardcore people. That, that's sort of what they think as well, I think. Um, so, so Tolkien, of course, in contrast to that is, is, um, hopelessly naive and stupid because it's not just that he has the, the moral, moral realism, which is kind of a <clears throat> false bourgeois thing anyway but um but it's that you know he sort of attributes to people moral qualities where we should really just you know we should just enjoy the drama and and, um if we can affect change in the system that's where we should place the blame but it's not really the people right um the people are sort of you know all equally interchangeable and everyone who finds himself in that situation will sort of be more or less inclined to act as little finger acts unless you're a sort of noble and stupid um in which case you're just a hypocrite anyway and deserve to die <laughs> so I, I i don't know that that that's the that's what i can see of that yeah that there's like an, an interesting horseshoe effect here where where you mm-hmm. get you know it's it's two sort of very similar flavors of, of cynicism at the end, but, but one of it, you know, one comes from a sort of left-wing view of power politics mm-hmm. and, uh, in Martin and, and the other one I mentioned earlier, um, Ayn Rand yeah, is a sort yeah. of, um, sort of like uh, a radical individualism and, uh, and a sort of a cynicism that stems from that, that the sense that, um, you know, everyone is just out to, um, to do what's in their own interest, you know? And, um, yeah. I have read Rand, so I can say more more there. But mm. um, I wonder if it, I wonder if there there is some a similarity in in that in the ultimate worldview there. Even though one gets at it from a sort of more traditionally right wing perspective, and the other yeah. is getting at it from a, from a sort of traditionally left wing perspective. You know, it could be. I mean, I've not read Rand, um, so I don't know. But now oh, here so, we are. So we yeah, should yeah. do a podcast where we talk about uh Game of Thrones and yeah. uh, Ayn Rand. Where... <laughs> But yeah, I think I think we touched on before that there is sort of a similarity in their fan bases in that each think that the sort of social vision encapsulated in the fiction of their of these authors sort of represents reality in some deep sense. And that will, you know, for Ayn Rand, I don't know if there's like one author that she was like particularly against or not, but for Game of Thrones people, Tolkien is like the they you know, they've got to defeat Tolkien right that that's oh the, really i didn't know that oh yeah. some of them yeah like not all of them and there are there certainly are fans that like both don't get me wrong but there's definitely a, a strand in the, the game of thrones fandom which is like tolkien is naive and stupid and we are the ones with the with the answer we're the ones who have the proper worldview the worldview that actually reflects how it is and, you know it's it's you know mo- it's no use talking about morality right and wrong sort of got a um you know, that's just naive stuff that got Eddard Stark killed. We've, we've got to sort of, if not embrace the Game of Thrones, we've got to then change the system that enables it, right? And, I mean, I don't, I don't know how, like, I mean, there are certain characters in the show, like um, Khaleesi, you know, Khaleesi, the dragon <clears throat> queen who, queen of dragons who, um, who says things like that in the show, sort of break the chain. But then, you know, again, 
we don't know what the sort of finale is going to be for these characters in the books, but in the movies, in the movie, in the show, certainly there's no sort of coherent um, resolution to that plot either. So it's hard to say, you know, what is Martin actually saying here, but, um, but certainly his fans, you know, seem to have something like that position. Yeah. Yeah. And here, you know, I must unfortunately sound petty, but there's something I don't like about uh, about inter- inter- interacting with um, with both uh, fans of Game of Thrones and and Ayn Rand in general, where they there's a sense of superiority that uh, that often they that I've sensed in them uh, over over you, you know, not not just in the in the superiority of the of their chosen fiction, but in their mm-hmm. in their general worldviews. You know, it, it sort of bleeds out into the into the way that we interact in the real world like as yeah. if as if now you know now i'm a naive asshole for for um <laughs> for, for being more uh, a, a moral realist so you know I, i've gotten i've certainly gotten that sense from from ayn rand fans a lot you know like mm. um yeah there were and, weird similarities uh, there yeah yeah um and you know lest anyone accuse tolkien fans of doing the same you know i don't think there's that quite the same i don't think tolkien fans unless you're like a christian tolkien fan of which i I agree that there are some very annoying ones who sort of say that well the only way to read tolkien is is through the christian lens and i have a lot of problem with those fans you know the sort of people that um on the amon soul podcast and uh, and stuff um you know not least because a lot of them are just bigots but um apart from that uh you know i think the general tolkien fan i don't i don't think would say for example that well tolkien's worldview sort of encapsulates reality for me I don't think that's what draws people to Tolkien. Um, certainly not for me. I mean, he was a Catholic. I'm not an atheist. Um, you know, I obviously don't believe in the same worldview. There are certain tensions in the literature which I find interesting um, and which are sort of, um, you know, which are powerful and speak to certain certain parts of life, certain elements therein. Um, but, yeah, I don't think Tolkien is sort of the author that sort of for whom a worldview is encapsulated or reality is encapsulated. I don't think that's what he was necessarily trying to do, but, but I don't see the same in Game of Thrones fans for a lot of them, the hardcore ones. It's like, um, yeah, this, this guy really gets reality somehow. Like, um, and, and I don't know. I find that odd. I find that a strange reaction to an, a fictional writer, um, you know, and, and again, yeah, that, that, Ayn Rand. I mean, who said? I mean, some people. The only other author I can think of for whom that is said is like Shakespeare, like you know, Alan, not Alan Bloom, Howard Bloom. Is that his Howard name? Howard Bloom, yeah, yeah. yeah Going Howard about Bloom, how yeah. Shakespeare sort of invents the human, um, hmm. which I think is you know, obviously hyperbole, but you know, <laughs> it is sort of the, the title of, of his sort of major book on Shakespeare, or at least one of them. Yeah, um, and certainly Shakespeare sort of encapsulates of course, like so much that we find, you know, um, sort of resonates. Um, but, you know, he doesn't sort of invent the human, right? He doesn't sort of, he doesn't invent or capture all of reality either. Um, I don't think that's what fiction is for. I don't think it's for capturing reality. Um, yeah. and so I just have a whole, you know, problem with Game of Thrones fans is, many but yeah that that's another one really that, that this this claim to realism sort of um firstly shakespeare said everything martin said and better and more new in more nuanced ways so you know go and read shakespeare um and 
you know, stop touting Martin as this kind of an incredible inventor. <laughs> it's just not. I mean, I, th- I think that could be said for. Sorry, yeah, go on, go on. That could be said for any any writer. <laughs> any writer, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. Um, we, we just you know, just everyone should just bother sure. off and go read Shakespeare. I think we'd all be better better for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spend more. Sure. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, um, I think Tolkien captures nostalgia in a way that I think very few authors have. Um, I think that's something that. I think is, is true of Tolkien. Even Shakespeare, I don't think, captures feeling of nostalgia quite the way yeah, Tolkien no. does. Um, and I think b- that's because, you know, he's doing a very particular thing with sort of, um, you know, make, making this this history out of out of um, his own invented mythology and stuff. It, it's but but anyway. Um, so I think you know I'm biased, but I think. Tolkien has some claim there, but um, yeah, certainly I don't think Martin does um, particularly. <laughs> um, I think the, the 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 Bloom comparison is interesting, and maybe I just I, I actually like Bloom a lot, and um, I think he has some he has some interesting points to make about literature, and um, I, I like a lot of his essays on Shakespeare as well. Um, yeah, yeah. In, I like oh, yeah, the, no, that book, sure. in, yeah. inventing inventing the human, yeah, or inventing human. I was just I was just using like, that as a like not yeah. to pick on uh, Bloom, but just to say, like, that people have said, yeah, people have said that. Yeah, yeah. That he sort of invents consciousness or something, you know. It's like, right, right. Have you read Sophocles? Like, come on. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to to say the the same thing, which is is that um, I sort of know what he's... (laughs) Yeah. And and I I think I would even take it further. And, like, I I remember there was an essay on Hamlet that he wrote. um, yeah. Where yeah. where he he talks about um now my memory may be failing me and and some Harold Bloom fans will come out and you know stick me um <laughs> to 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 the wall but um I, I think he talks about Hamlet uh, uh the, the way that Hamlet talks to himself sort of inventing inventing the human sort of subconscious right um I, I find that and maybe it's hyperbolic and maybe I'm maybe I'm not smart enough to understand what Bloom is trying to get at here but to me it's it's kind of it, it's Almost sounds stupid to say, but it's it's obviously patently untrue because you know Shakespeare had to write Hamlet from somewhere. Um, yeah. He did, and and I would even say, you know go back to Sophocles and and, and Euripides. Uh, you know they they um they had to write from somewhere. It, to, to me, it seems clear that that the that it's the human conscience that uh, that makes fiction and not the other way around. Yes, sure. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I exactly. Mean, unless, I'm, yeah. unless I'm misunderstanding Bloom. No, I um, mean, all I would say is, I suppose Hamlet perhaps uniquely embodies the internal yeah. monologue, the internal sort of existential monologue in 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 a sort of a dialogical sure. form. Um, well, I think it's one thing to say that Shakespeare captured the sort of tapestries of mm. of human uh, of the human mind better than anyone else so far, and possibly better than anyone else might have the chance to do so. Um, yeah. But, yeah. but, it, but I think that's, that's an entirely different statement that, that statement I, I agree with, but that's yeah. entirely different from saying that Hamlet, you know, basically uh, that, that, or that Shakespeare has sort of, you know, written, written into the human subconscious uh, uh, sort of facets of it that, that didn't exist before. And that, that seems to me, uh, it, it just, it's, it can't be true unless you believe that Shakespeare was, you know, God essentially. He's he's, he's close, but Christ. Well, I think uh, <laughs> I mean, Harold Bloom probably did believe Shakespeare was God. I mean, 
Oh, you're probably right. Actually, maybe, maybe, I think we solved it here. Right? <laughs> no, I mean Shakespeare is uniquely um, brilliant in so so many dimensions. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I guess the point was not to diss on Bloom. It was just to say that people have made claims like that about Martin as well. That he sort of um, not that he invents the human, but that that he sort of somehow embodies. <laughs> But, but, but that he embodies something about social reality that, like, Tolkien is stupidly naive in, in sort of missing or, you know, is... is And, uh, yeah, such such criticisms have been made. Um, again, it goes back to this weird thing in fantasy writing where, you know, somehow moral realism is kind of seen as suspect. I, I'm not quite sure why it is, but, yeah, again, um, there seems to be something, especially in the, Americ- the American side of fantasy writing, um, you know, where a sort of moral... Uh, questions of moral importance are sort of looked down on or um, treated as naive and stupid. Um, one could say the same about like Michael Moorcock and his sort of very amoral kind of uh, characters. And um, even, um, well, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I was going to say Lovecraft, but Lovecraft's a different thing entirely. That's something else. Um, um that's that's a yeah a different kettle of fish, and I love Lovecraft for, for different reasons. But um, but um, or at least I'm I'm interested in his stories. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's um, there, there's something there. I, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember I remember um, David Foster Wallace used to he used to talk a lot about the the challenge of of the next generation. Which I guess is our generation now is going to have to to, to find <laughs> yeah. to find uh, to find sincerity, right? In the age of um, mm. of television and, and mass media, and um, yeah. to sort of to sort of move move beyond um, the the cynicism. And uh, he he said the irony. I don't necessarily agree with him on that. I think irony is indispensable, but um, but I do think that. Um, mm. the, we have been in a sort of cycle of, of, of faddish cynicism. I don't know if the cause of it is mass media or television or anything like. That. I don't know. You know, we we would need to sort of wheel in the the, the corpse mm. of Marshall McLuhan to to, um, <laughs> to talk us through that one. But mm. um, but I do think that 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 was like a fad, and I and I sense that we're sort of moving away from it now, which is. Which is why um, I, I think you said somewhere in the in the course of this conversation that that Game of Thrones seems very two thousand Z or like two thousand yeah two thousand ten Z right and um, yeah I think I think it's time is is going real quick um, maybe if, yeah. if Martin doesn't uh, finish those novels quickly I'm not sure how much more um, cultural cachet it'll have e- e- even mm. now it seems you know quite diminished there was a time in the mid 2010s when oh yeah it seems mm. like everything the only thing people were talking about was Game of Thrones and yeah. already and it seems is, yeah. greatly diminished so part of that is the show itself like the last couple of seasons oh, really? which were universally received sort of as, as bad television but but i think that's more than that too i think yeah there is a sense in which maybe the zeitgeist has changed one other thing just maybe to close out i wanted to ask to see what you think is why and maybe this has got to do with this sort of cynical viewpoint which it has um why do you think like i was listening to a podcast the other day like these hollywood type writers talking about tv called um the watch and i quite like the show they're kind of funny slightly annoying americans and um (laughs) I must say, you're not all like Americans? that. Don't worry. Don't worry. You're not like <laughs> okay, that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> sort of just overly exuberantly happy. I'm like, 
just yeah okay um well i do have to say i'm 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 indian so i do have a bit of british in me as it were good um, good yes and that my my general viewpoint is is <laughs> more um more deprecating than than americans okay, well I, I guess we share that thanks to the legacy of uh the british um project but, shall yeah, we say yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> um but um yeah but um Anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was listening to this podcast and they were talking about, you know, the House of the Dragon trailer and they were like really looking forward to it and, and yeah, we're going to watch this every week and talk about it. And they were talking about, oh, we, you know, are we really ready to go back to this Game of Thrones? We just, we were so deep into it and like we were into the lore and we did a like two episodes a week on it. And I was like, what captured Hollywood so comprehensively, um, you know, in Game of Thrones, like what was so, was it just the worldview, the sort of the sense that it sort of cohered, some sense that it cohered with the left wing, the general sort of left wing world picture somehow. Um, It was, it was, yes, it was depicting a medieval age, but it was sort of standing aloof of it from a modern perspective and critiquing it. And in doing so, it was kind of also critiquing the modern period by analogy. And therefore, you know, unlike Tolkien, which sort of, you know, embraces the certain virtues and, and, positions of, of sort of what you might call it a sort of medieval worldview it it um it sort of stands if not against it it sort of stands ironically at a distance and that's what allowed people to sort of um you know uh to sort of embrace it right um because there are so many other shows right like um like breaking bad like uh, even the borgias right which is basically the same thing about like the italian uh, papal family or whatever, or, you know, more general noble family. And, you know, all these shows have basically the same opinion, maybe not so much Breaking Bad, but all these sort of... Oh, House of Cards. House of Cards, yeah. They all have the same yeah. kind of... Way. Yeah, that's a good one, actually, yeah. Um, House of Cards, Game of Thrones, same, same structural uh, yeah, Well, similar, similar. There. Yeah, yeah. They all, and, you know, they all did well, but nothing sort of did it quite as well as, as Game of Thrones. So I'm wondering, like, why... Do you think, and, and again, yeah, you know, you haven't seen it, I know, so, so it may be hard for you to say, but I'm just curious as to why, yeah, like, Hollywood yeah. in particular, is it just like, a well, the people listening to the podcast really love the show, so they took it up, or was it like, and often on these shows you'll hear people say, like, oh, you know, I never got into fantasy, but this is somehow the, the like, lack of fantasy, like, there's still the bias against fantasy that somehow Game of Thrones overcame because it pretended not to be fantasy. So I'm like, well... <laughs> um, you know what's what's going on here? Like, is it? I, I just I feel like it's something to do with again that this is a worldview thing. But yeah, I don't know. That that is really interesting. Um, I, I do think that there's a, there's a bit of an irony that that Game of Thrones sort of positioned itself as a not fantasy, but um, yeah, you know. And then you hear people saying, "I never like fantasy, but I love Game of Thrones." Whereas it's, it's actually a much better sort of canonical <laughs> example of fantasy than. Than not uh, than anything token wrote is right so um, in the sense the, that yes the, in the sense that it is more like what is what has become modern fantasy than Tolkien yeah sure yeah yeah right yeah. right um, um, Game so of Thrones so is do more find like that... yeah um, I don't know you know uh, I would say that there's there's hmm. in some sense Game of Thrones is more like for example the Wheel of Time than the Wheel of Time is to Lord of the Rings right they're both sort of these enormous mm. badly written um, well, I shouldn't say that. They're both these enormous um, uh, series with multiple entries. Um, they cover, you know, hundreds of characters. There's not an exact, like, worldview 
similarity in worldview, but there are certain certainly um, more similarities, I would say, than between like Robert Jordan and Tolkien. Um, yeah. Mm. But anyway, sorry, go, go on. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I just I found that a bit funny, but um, yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. it's my turn to be cynical now. But sure, <laughs> go for it. I I think that um, what I've thought for a while now since since seeing sort of a lot of the Game of Thrones craze in the mid 2010s is that the 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 reason it sort of captured the imagination of of so many especially in Hollywood I think is just a general um a general affinity for for mediocrity that that humans have <laughs> right um and, Maybe, you know, yeah. and, and and mediocrity coupled with uh sort of sex violence mm-hmm. dragons and pyrotechnics that's a powerful uh that's a pauldron uh, that, that's a powerful cauldron to 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 brew up for for a show right that that's like a hit waiting to be happen uh that's that's a that's a, that's a hit waiting to be made so um mm-hmm. um I, I do think that there's there's the the sort of the the moral ambiguity that uh that that token sort of offers up is is not super sexy right it's 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 not it's not super sellable and i suspect to the extent that it is going to be made sellable it'll be through a sort of dilution of of the Mm, sort of full complexity of of token so the fact that it, it presents a really stark uh sort of obvious worldview and one that sort of happens to be zeitgeisty and one uh, it certainly happens to be zeitgeisty. I think in the sort of post, um, post sort of Vietnam, post uh, Iraq War world, yeah, it's, exactly. at least in America, yeah. you know, there's there's a yeah. sense of uh, yeah. of, of that. Uh, there's a there's a powerful sense of that relativism in the zeitgeist, and um, to sort of have that presented uncritically is is I think it's just a a home run. And then yeah, I think there's there's um, there's a lot of violence, right? There's a lot of, uh, is there a lot of sex in Game of Thrones? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's pretty yeah. famous for that, yeah. I yeah. mean, especially yeah. in the show. I mean, there is in the books, but in the show, I mean, the show is famous for sort of um, showcasing that uh, hmm. sort of, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm primarily talking about the show here because I yeah, do, sure. I, am yeah. I wrong in saying that the show has sort of captured more more uh, of the of the sort of cultural Mm. Uh, attention. No, I think you're correct than, about that. Than, yeah, than, yeah. Certainly, the book and, and, gained readership when the show came out. But yes, I think it's the show that really, um, yeah, that a lot of these like um, sort of the like I was talking about the sort of Hollywood type like podcast people who do podcasts and sort of were obsessively mm-hmm. into it. Were obsessively into the show, not so much the books. Even if they read the books, yeah. like they might say, I read the books, but you know, yeah, yeah. And I, they seem clearly to be. The kind of thing where the where the show is actually probably as good as, if not better than the the books, because the books don't really. Here I may be speculating, but maybe <laughs> there's not much that they do that that needs to be treated in a in a novelistic way, the way that say the Lord of the Rings. There's so much in them that that simply really couldn't be done in a in a, in a movie, right? It, Mm-hmm. It has to be a novel to to really fully um, explore what Token tries to explore there. So, but but that, that, that's a side side point. I don't know if that's true or not. But I, I think it's just that it's just a it's 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 a sort of morally clear viewpoint that's that's presented. It and it, it came in at the right time 
um, with just the, the sentiment of the country, I think. And, and maybe, maybe, um, do you mean to- there's uh, a sense in Martin has a morally clear? Yeah. yeah view? Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Or- I, I think Martin. Yeah. Mm. Or, not sorry. Not morally clear, but morally, um, maybe obvious. Like it's a, it's a really, um, it's a, do you mean it's like a simplistic, do you mean like it's obvious view. in it's like moral ambiguity and relativism sort of? Yeah. But, it, but it's it's kind of, it, I guess it, maybe simplistic is the right word. Like it's sort of, mm. um, there's there's a sort of just, you can just easily say, you know, it's the the, the, the worldview is a, is a power corrupts, right? Or, or oh, the, I see what you mean now. Power yeah. is the end all, okay. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's not much um, thinking that needs to happen. There's not there's not all that much, um, okay, mm. sort mm. of, uh, there's not there's not all that much uh, a discussion of ambiguities that has to go on to sort of understand the the sort of the motions um, yeah, okay. of, of the mind of, of Martin and and the characters that he creates. Um, so so basically, like long story short, I, I wonder if it's just because it's it's uh it's sellable in a way that the token is not because it's it's simplistic and it's zeitgeisty, and then you throw gore violence sex and you know i don't know dragons or whatever else on top of it and um mm, mm. you know i just yeah i think yeah um, that, I, yeah it I just, it just right, has yeah. to be yeah it's, it's not it's not super super uh nice of me but but i do think that, <laughs> i mean i, I mean uh, almost by definition like the the things that that sell the best have to be mm. kind of middle of the road right i, I mean uh, maybe that's not true but um, to the extent that, to the extent that people, you know, e- even something like Shakespeare, you, you know, most people don't really read Shakespeare, right? Mm. It, he's he's gotten a hold in the in the sort of in the culture. He's got a, a sort of status there that is that is ubiquitous. But in terms of how many people read Shakespeare outside of their ninth grade English class or something, it's it's really minimal. Um, so, so there's a sense in which I, I think really complicated, ambi- ambiguous um, art is almost by definition not able to be consumed by the the sort of largest. Um, <laughs> well, that's uh, exactly what people, people say about Tolkien. <laughs> so, really? Well, some yeah. people, yeah. It's just well, again, but how many people? How many people actually sort of read um, a lot of Tolkien, right? Well, I, don't, I mean, certainly, certainly the Lord of the Rings is, is a very, is a, is a, is a novel that's sold, you know, a lot. Um, so, yeah. you know, um, that's certainly true. I mean, yeah. How many people read beyond that though? Yeah. is uncertain, but yeah. yeah. And that, that one, I think you can fall for now squarely in the uh, outlier category because we're still only you know, 20 years removed from, mm. from the, from, from the series that sort of, you know, swept, swept at the Oscars. So I think we're still of, the, of that, of that mm. generation. So. Sure. Yeah. Um, I see. Yeah. I think what, once, once, once the, the light from those Peter Jackson movies sort of fades, um, mm. I'm not sure, I'm not sure how sort of wide the readership will be. I think it'll always kind of be uh, mm. fairly niche. Right. In a certain um, sense, maybe. maybe. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's interesting. Yeah. Um, certainly many aspects of case for, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. Yeah. No, 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 no. Go for it. I was going to say, yeah, certainly many aspects of the world or, or of the, uh, yeah, beyond like Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit are, are not, not as widely read. Um, so that's true. Yeah. Yeah. 
that was a, a lot of words to to defend a sort of artistic hipsterdom but um <laughs> no that's yeah um yeah so i, I will say i don't think that's always true but i think in the case yeah. of game of thrones maybe maybe that's that's yeah. why it's just it, it was the right thing at the right time right no i think i think you're right i mean what you say resonates um certainly i think that yeah that there was a zeitgeisty thing going on there um Maybe maybe the context you mentioned, sort of post nine eleven, post Iraq War, is important, um, especially for the American left. Um, this sense mm. of sort of disillusionment with moral questions and, and um, is our inside really the bad guys? Are we really the bad guys? Are we really <laughs> interchangeable with uh, you know with these sort of you know horrible characters? We can sort of you know almost sadomasochistically see ourselves in them, and, and you know um, I don't know. It's a weird. <laughs> weird phenomenon you know which is why like with the rings of power show i'm, I'm not sure how much it's going to capture the zeitgeist really especially if it's so diluted as you put it that it sort of just becomes generic beyond you know if it's anything like the wheel of time show it will fail miserably and it will deserve to but um yeah yeah but we'll see. To, to bring it back to to just sort of cl- close out a, little, a bit um to, yeah. to bring it back to sure to sort of current um you know geopolitics i think it is interesting <laughs> that um oh no oh. still there yeah okay. yeah 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 oh yeah i okay good i was worried that we lost all that yeah. um but i no, just the um, last two seconds i think yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah it, it is interesting that that in the sort of the, the wake of, of putin's uh invasion um you know we we have seen a lot of people sort of saying the 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 argument about you know how how evil is it really like you know how what position are we in to um to to criticize this invasion when when we've done similar things in in iraq etc and and people have been saying that kind of stuff for for ages now but to me at least it seems to really uh hit a sour note now and i think more people are kind of thinking that so i do wonder if um there is something in the in the zeitgeist that's changing because I'm seeing fewer and fewer people sort of falling for that kind of reasoning, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it's certainly you see less of it. Um, there seems to be a clearer moral vision. I mean, maybe because, you know, um, I'm just trying to, you know, if, if if we were sort of seeing a sort of a Martin-esque response to this, and I'm sure Martin, you know, has, has denounced the invasion and whatever, but, but if we were sort of, you know, if, if this were something going on within his world, what, what would we see? You know, well, we would see a kind of situation where all the parties are kind of just treated almost as equivalent. Yes, the Russians are the, Russians are the invaders, but, you know, in Martin's world, like the Ukrainians should also have some kind of, um, you know, Zelensky, for example, could not be treated as a sort of unambiguously heroic figure. He would have to be sort of somehow brought down, right? He would have to be um, by by some means, right? He'd have to be, you know, sort of corrupt. And maybe he, I mean, you know, God, he's probably not, I, I've no doubt he's not, uh, he's without um, moral blemish, but like, um, yeah, I don't, I don't see a sort of widespread, um, sense that Zelensky is, you know, um, sort of 
well, you know, he's sort of interchangeable with Putin, right, or something. Um, right, right. Yeah. I don't, I don't see that going on. Whereas, whereas, if, you know, if he was a character, well, you haven't been reading enough Michael Tracy. Well, I don't. Yeah, I don't know who that is, but yeah, is he? <laughs> no, you're, some sort of, you're better off keeping it that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there are those voices, and you know, you've sort of heard from the some 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 on the left, like Chomsky and, and that, that said some weird things. But I, I definitely feel like that sort of stuff is on the is is not central um, to the debate now. Um, and that in general, people are happy to make a fairly clear moral distinction between the Ukrainians on the one side and the Russians on the other, given the reality of the invasion and the targeting of civilians and, and things like that. And mm. would probably maintain that distinction, even if there was evidence that, for example, some Ukrainian units had, you know, illegally, uh, for example, shot Russian prisoners of war or something, which of course would, would, is, is a condemnable um, act if, if it were true, right? You could sort of hold both both um, uh, statements in, in your mind. On the one hand, that the Russian invasion is, is a terrible crime, but also that, you know, acts like that are wrong. And holding both those statements in your mind doesn't sort of lead you to embrace sort of a, a both-sidism or a moral relativism. Um, yeah. Or to... You know, the other approach might be to see the the Ukrainians as kind of the Starks, right? In the in the Game of Thrones novels, um, sort of noble, but you know they're not playing the Game of Thrones right. They're too they're a bunch <laughs> of fools because pr- precisely due to their nobility, right? Uh, so Zelensky is kind of a, a, a fool in that vision, right? He's noble, but he's not playing the Game of Thrones. He's got to he's got to wrangle with Putin. Now, I guess one could say, well. Zelensky is playing the Game of Thrones because he's sort of this tough leader, right? Um, but I think that that only just complicates um, Martin's vision because for him, as I've already sort of said, gone on about ad nauseum, you know, like to 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 take some sort of moral stance is um, is to invite accusations of hypocrisy. So again, it would just go back, in, in Martin's word, it just goes back to that, right? Like, okay, well, if Zelensky isn't a fool, then he's a hypocrite. <laughs> um, <laughs> and on some level, you know, it's not Zelensky and Putin who are morally um, sort of right or wrong. It's like it, the, the only sort of victims here are sort of the small folk, but even there it's like if they were the rulers, you know, the small fact that, you know, the people of Ukraine, but, but really, you know, on some basic sense though, they're, they're just like the Russians. They're just as sort of condemnable. Um, it's sort of a vision, I guess, of original sin, weirdly enough. Um, hmm. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, so I, I, that's sort of how I would feel like, like Martin's approach. Like if you, if you actually took the sort of ethical vision of his stories um into account, I don't think you could really draw a moral distinction between like Ukraine and Russia. It's all just part of this game, right? Um, and, right. and indeed, in some sense, I think that is reflected in sort of the some of the like geopolitics discussion, right? Um, which treats, you know, which treats um, um, the relationship between countries, you know, in in that sort of way. Um, but. I, I don't see that that is sort of at the centre of the debate. There's definitely a sort of moral reaction in Western publics which um, belies that kind of approach. But, yeah, um, so yeah. whether and, that means the zeitgeist is changing or, <laughs> or whatever, I don't know. But, yeah, um, 
Or just this one act was so, you know, yeah, yeah. In- incomprehensibly evil that you really have to have a few screws loose to, uh, yeah, like that. There was no sort of, settle, yeah. well, it, it's hard to point to any sort of, um, circum like mitigating circumstance like like in so many of these like oh you know evil people are just misunderstood kind of narratives like um you know um you know like game of thrones you know there's no actual like moral evil it's just it's all point of view it's all perspective it's all just misunderstanding people everyone's just as bad as one another um you know, I think th- there's no place to stand there. A- again, as I've said, like there's no place to stand to, to actually make judgments, to, to actually, you know, uh, provide a moral judgment um, on anyone because, you know, we're all kind of just equally as, you know, as bad um, or at least capable of, of badness, um, if that's even a meaningful word, right, if that's even meaningful in that context. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, as I said, yeah, I just think in Martin's world, you couldn't actually, it would be meaningless to make that kind of moral judgment. And if you did, as I said, you would sort of just invite um, accusations that, you know, are hypocritical. And, and that in Martin's world, like there'd be some mitigating factor, like the Ukrainians would have, um, I don't know, planted nukes in Russia or something, you know, that they would have sort of, invited there would have to be some reason for why they kind of invited the invasion um because um we can't have a situation where one party is like more or less morally um inviolate and really there is no particular reason for you know for this invasion to have taken place no that that's sort of an impossible situation in mind as well like yeah you, you just have to have there have to be some sort of culpability there on the part of the ukrainians as well and in some ways that's kind of the argument that the 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 mearsheimer yes yes exactly it's basically that argument yes so in in that world like in martin's world the the argument of the mearsheimers etc would like that that would actually be true right and um or at least that's one of the visions that i could see being true in that world right yeah because you can't have actual nobility you can't have actual heroism it's got to be mitigated by irony or cynicism or um or culpability you know in some other way so that no side is ever equally as um and and that's one thing to notice like in in martin's constructed geopolitics the seven kingdoms like it's constructed in such a way that like it's very easy to create scenarios where um, it's just, um, it's just kind of dynastic politics playing out on a larger scale. Um, and in that sense, yes, it does reflect like, you know, the European middle ages or something like that, but, you know, to then claim that that reflects all of history is, is to take one like context and, and blow it up and also create a moral theory out of it, or at least, or at least suggest that somehow this represents all of moral reality. Which again is just not something like Tolkien fans, I think, do. Like, I don't think Tolkien fans read Lord of the Rings and say, "Well, you know, all geopolitics is actually reducible to a battle between like a more or less good side and a more or less bad side." I think that's what Tolkien is saying or doing, right? I mean, it's it, that's not the point of it. Whereas I think like Martin fans are like, "Yeah, this is always what it's like. It's just this is it." You know, it's just a well, the, 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 the yeah. <laughs> 
the the fans of Tolkien who are who tend to be dogmatic are dogmatic about um, a particular other book. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, they've already got their book that they're dogmatic yes, about. Yes, it's, it's not it's not Tolkien. So yes, no, um, exactly. But but yes, I mean, again, it does come back to that. Like, to, um, yeah, and I'll, and I'll say it out loud. Like, yes, it, it is. It is really only the, as, as far as I can tell, it's really only the Christian fans and a subset of them that find in Tolkien some sort of yeah, again, some sort of uh, uh, some sort of model of reality that then you know they, they can sort of apply in other contexts. Um, for everyone else, uh, my feeling is that it speaks to them out of different things, you know, for different reasons. Not not because of geopolitics or the geopolitics it's representing. That, that's not what it's speaking to them about. Um, and there's no sense that like um, yeah, that Mordor versus Gondor is somehow. Um, representative of the geopolitics of the real world. That, that's not what it does. That's not what it claims to be doing, and that's not what it is. Um, whereas for the Seven Kingdoms, Martin, Martin's fans like, yeah, this is, yeah, this is like, um, it's not just, it's like medieval history, but it's also like modern history and, you know, geopolitics just like this. So, yeah, anyway, the, I'm going on and on, but the point is that um, yeah. I think people make claims for Martin's world that are simply, yeah, hyperbolic and ridiculous. But anyway. That's hilarious. I, I clearly I had to be spending more of my time on Game of Thrones subreddits. It sounds, uh, as oh, the kids say yeah. these days, uh, lit. <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah, it's yeah. A lot of the subreddits. Yeah, it's full of full of people like that. Yeah, just they make a lot of a lot of claims for for what Martin's doing. <laughs> yeah. Again, go read Shakespeare. I said it all before, but better. <laughs> um, and and in a more nuanced way, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think even honestly, even even to mention them in the same breath, I think you're doing Shakespeare a disservice there. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perhaps. <laughs> anyway, look, this has turned into a podcast about Game of Thrones, but I think it's an interesting discussion to have. And yeah. um, maybe I said some things that I wanted to say for a while, so that's good. But um, I guess we'll talk about Tolkien and death another time. <laughs> yeah, um, because that is an interesting topic, and maybe what we can do is. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll gather a few more materials for that, so so we have a little bit more structure. But um, sure. But uh, I think this was a valuable conversation. So thanks very much. Yeah, I agree. This this was super interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I learned a lot about Game of Thrones. So, <laughs> and I, I think I, I don't know. I hope I hope this is true. Maybe we're the only podcast where uh, in a single episode we've mentioned Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, Mirsheimer. <laughs> Uh, who knows? Yeah. Maybe Shakespeare, yeah. <laughs> Harold Bloom. We, we really covered some range here. Even Alan Bloom, who I mentioned by mistake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a Straussian philosopher, isn't he, or something? Or was? I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know much about. He's. I. I read his. Um. His sort of. Isn't there a big book of his that's like a translation and a commentary on Plato's Republic? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Straussian. Is, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's all. That's all. That's all I know about him. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Yeah. No, fair enough. All right. Well, we'll leave it there and uh, we'll come back to the show and we'll, we'll probably discuss it in relation to House of the Dragon 2. By the show, I mean Rings of Power, of course. Um, and yeah. So um, we'll see you next time for The Silmarillion and Tolkien and Death. So thanks, everyone. And I'll see you later, Shruta. <laughs> Peace.